boring or into fishing. There might be one or two of you, I don't know, there's some knowing looks going on, so maybe there is. But um, I, I always liked the idea of fishing. I was just never any good at it, and I gave up pretty early on. And, uh, and the reason why I gave up was this. When I was about seven or eight, we lived in a place called Bursko, up, up north of Ormskirk. And uh, the canal, Lee's Liverpool Canal, went right behind our house, except that we had a huge fence that was built so that you know, we as kids couldn't get over and get onto the canal bank. And so, um, but one day, it was the school holidays, and my gran used to come and look after us. And one day, I decided, I don't know what it because I was one of four, I don't know where the other three were, but I decided I'm going to go fishing in the canal. And I'd heard that you just needed a jam jar and a piece of string. <laughs> and being seven or eight, I believed it. So I, I got, my gran got me a lovely jam jar, all nice and clean, and tied a bit of string around it, and I stuck it in my bag. The only problem was to get to the, I wanted to go to fish right behind our house so my gran could see me, you see. So I kind of thought, well, in order to do that, you had to walk like a half a mile into the village, Bursko, and then over to the bridge, and then back up the canal bank about half a mile to get outside our house. So it was a good old journey. Packed my bag, sandwiches, the lot, drink. Out there I went and uh, got, finally, after the war, got to outside our house, put my stuff down, got my little chair out, because I'd seen they had little chairs and things to sit on. So I got that out, and I was really prepared, and I shouted my gran. She said, yeah, right, son, you're ready to go, so... And I get this jam jar on the end of the string and cast it into the canal. The only problem was that the string wasn't really very long. And it went out and came back and smashed to a, sm a thousand pieces on the bank. Whereupon I just packed everything up and came back home. So it was a complete waste of time. Uh, so I never went again after that. So it put me. But uh, this morning, the reason I'm telling you that is because we're going to look at a fisherman's tail. All right. Now, you know what a fisherman's tail often is? It was that big. That's how big that fish was, I thought, when really it might not have been quite so big, but there's no evidence for it. These days with phones, you can't get away with that now, but in the, in the past, they'd say how big the fish they caught. Well, we're going to look at a fisherman's tale this morning from Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I think it will come up on the screen anyway, but Luke chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11 is the um, passage. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and you'll recognise the story. It's a fairly well-known story. Okay. So Luke 5, verse 1. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing, he's talking about Jesus obviously here, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the shore or from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they uh, enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signalled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats. So they, began, so they all both began to sink. But when Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. 
And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Sure. So Jesus down by the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine the scene? Um, I, I, I so often go up to the Lake District. In fact, we're going tomorrow. Great, can't wait. But we'll, we'll do this first. Don't worry, I'm not going to clear off. Um, but um, we're, um, and uh, what, I love going to Keswick. And you know when you go down, if you've been to Keswick, you go down to the lake and they've got all the boats there waiting to go out onto the lake and what have you. Now, this time of year, it's very, very quiet. But in the summer, it can be a bit like what it was when Jesus went down to the lake that morning, crowded, bustling, lots of people. Uh, geese trying to pick, pick your feet and all that kind of thing. And so you can imagine, there's, uh, and this was the place where when they'd caught their fish, they would bring it back and sell it on the shore. And so it was a bustling place, lots of money changing hands for the people who'd kind of uh, come back with a catch. It seems that Simon and, and uh, James and John and, and, and them hadn't really done much, but that's kind of the way it would normally be. So you can imagine a fishing port, can't you? you lovely fishing port, you go on holiday. And uh, the clinking of the sail, the, the, um, the, um, that stick thing that comes up, what do you call it? The, <laughs> the mast. You see, I'm not very nautical. So, so the mast as it's waving, back, and they cling to each other. It's a lovely sound, the wind gently blowing, probably quite sunny and everything. So you can picture the scene, can't you? And this is all going on down by the side of the lake. And then Jesus turns up and he climbs into Simon's boat. So in order to get the kind of background to this, I think we need a little bit of context, don't we really? And, and see what's going on before we get into that. So going back to the beginning, Luke's account, Luke's gospel, was a gospel written by Luke, who was, we know, was a doctor. And he wanted to write, it says, right at the very start of the gospel, an orderly account of what had happened with Jesus. And the reason he was doing that is because he had a friend or somebody he knew called Theophilus, who was some kind of Greek official and quite important. And, and he obviously was wanting to believe, maybe he was even a believer, but he wanted Luke, his friend, to go and check out all the things that he'd heard about Jesus. And Luke tells us in his gospel at the beginning that he went and interviewed a lot of people, eyewitnesses, to see about all these different things. And of course, what we've just read this morning was part of that. And uh, going back just to the chapter before we've just read, in Luke chapter 4, the story has gone on and Jesus has been born and he's come out and he's been into the wilderness. And then in Luke chapter, uh, no, he's just before he goes into the wilderness, Beginning of Luke chapter 4, it says that the Holy Spirit would led him to be tempted into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led the Son of God to be tempted in the wilderness. He led him into trouble, if you like, led him into difficulty. But out of that, out of proving God, if you like, because Jesus, everything he did, he didn't need to do, but he did it because a lot of what he did was examples for us. This is how kingdom life is he's the new king who's come to bring in his new kingdom and this is how you should be living in that kingdom and what's if you like on offer for you from that kingdom and so Jesus goes into the wilderness and has this battle with Satan in the wilderness tempting him and comes out victorious and comes out it says further down in the power of the spirit having battled and having gone through the difficult times and proved God if you like in the darkness he comes out into the light, into the power of the Spirit. It's something, we could have a sermon on that this morning. We're not going to, but that's a wonderful beginning to Jesus' ministry there. He goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and there preaches about the fact and reads the scripture there from Isaiah, which speaks about himself. And he claims to be that Messiah. 
huge thing for him to do in his home village. And of course, they were happy to accept him as Joseph's lad and Mary's lad, but they're not going to accept him as that. And so, but Jesus escaped from them all and, and was able to go away. But what a start to his ministry. So all this had been going on, and then he goes, starts preaching and healing the sick and doing all sorts of wonderful things. And um, eventually he ends up in Peter's house. Sat in the middle of all of this is Simon Peter. Now, if you go back to John's gospel, um, we, we read that in chapter 1, verse 41, it was Andrew, Simon's brother, who brought him to Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, he meets him there, and Jesus says, from now on, straight away, he didn't spend six months getting to know him or anything. He just knew because this is the son of God and he knows his own. And he says, Simon, from now on, you're going to be Peter the Rock. Cephas. And so he calls him the Rock and, and immediately sets him apart. Peter doesn't know what's going on, really. He's only just met the man. And, and then the next thing he turns up, Jesus turns up at his house and heals his mother-in-law. A blessing he wasn't expecting, if you like. And, uh, and then he heals lots of other people in his house. And then all the people in his village. And Simon's in the middle of all of this. And now, this particular morning, Simon's gone off to work to do, well, he's gone out the night before to fish, and he's come back from work, and there he is again. And now he's getting into my boat. There's something going on here, isn't there? Jesus is pursuing Simon in every way, isn't he? He's everywhere. Have you ever had that feeling that God's on your case? that Jesus is pursuing you and he wants to say something to you, but you're not quite sure where he's going with all of this, but you feel like there's, just something, there's a closeness there. And that's kind of what's happening here with Simon. It's a special moment for him as Jesus is preparing him, presumably, for all that was to come. But we see this amazing fisherman's tale then that comes out of all of this, which is what we're going to really look at this morning, having given it a little bit of contact. and uh, Context, rather. And... and, and I think this occurrence here that we read about with the nets going into the deep and the huge catch of fish, this miraculous catch. And um, most of us focus, and over the years as I've grown up in churches and things, and through Sunday school as I was, a good boy, going to all these things. And the thing you remember about this story is that one day you will be a fisher of men. Yeah, that's what we all know about. You're going to be fishers of men. And we used to sing a song in Sunday school. I will make you fishers of men. Amen. There you go. We're on, we're on a roll, aren't we? We're, I feel like I'm at home now with people of my own. So, fishers of men, if you follow me, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And that's what we think. And there's no doubt that that's what Jesus was doing. But I think this, this occurrence here, this, this miracle, this huge catch of fish, was telling us something more. Jesus is demonstrating his kingdom. He's demonstrated, he's come on the scene and preached the fact that he is the, the one who's come from heaven to earth as the son of God. He's the Messiah that they're looking for. The king who is inaugurating his new kingdom. And in the healings and the stuff he's done so far, he's been demonstrating just what the, what's, what's possible in God's new kingdom, what he's created us for, if you like, and what we can look forward to in heaven when, it's, when we are completely reunited with God in heaven and we're meant to, where we're meant to be. But it's what we were created for in the first place. And Jesus, in a sense, everything he's doing is sort of rolling back the effects of the, of the fall. What we lost when we rejected him, when we all did in Adam and, and Eve at the beginning, what we've lost, Jesus saying, look, this is what you were made for. And he's saying, this is my new kingdom, and you need to leave the world's kingdom, and you need to come and follow me, which is what he says to all these different people, isn't it? 
but he demonstrates it as well and he shows us. And so he says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. But also, I think what this tells us, what we need to focus on is the, is the enormous amount of fish. It's a miracle. But it's actually saying to us that my kingdom, Jesus is saying, is an abundant kingdom. You follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, of course. But really, it, it's about the, the nature of my kingdom. It's more than you could ever ask or think. It's an abundant kingdom. It's hundreds of fish, not just fish. A catch that you would never catch in a million years, Peter, out in a, uh, on your own. But with me, this is what it's like. Now, that doesn't mean to say everything's going to be wonderful and rosy, as we'll see. But that's basically what Jesus is teaching here. This is what's possible. This is what I'm rolling back. This is what you were made for and you've lost. But I've come to bring you out of that darkness into the light. Now, we could stop there, but we're not going to. You'll be sorry to hear it. But we're going to go and talk about the catch that Jesus made. So we've had some of the context but we'll look about the catch that, that Peter makes as he follows Jesus' instruction. Let's remind ourselves of what happened next. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, Jesus had got into his boat and had preached to the crowds in the shallows, just at the edge of the lake, because there were so many people, um, they were pushing towards the water's edge. So Jesus, just a practical thing, let's put out into the little bit of the lake here, and that gives a bit of um, gap so I can stand and preach and he does or he says he sat and preached actually as they did in those days when he had finished speaking um, he said to Simon put out into the deep water and let down the nets or your nets for a catch and Simon answered master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so we will let down or I will let down the nets now Simon had no problem with Jesus getting into his boat to preach Okay, didn't seem to have, because he'd obviously seen Jesus, he'd been at his house, done all these great miracles, so he recognised Jesus, and Jesus said, Simon, can I use your boat to preach in? Yeah, no problem. He get, lets him take it and use it. He had no problem doing that, did he? Because it was just in the shadows, it wasn't being used for what it was meant to be used for, in a sense, it was something different, and he was quite happily to let him have it in the shallows. But then, when Jesus finishes, he gives a command and sort of takes over what Jesus needs to do doesn't it in our lives Jesus taken over and, and given him an authoritative command his word if you like now again we see this picture all the way through the Bible don't we, we might go back to Exodus remember Joshua when he he's ready to go and, and uh, into over the river into Jericho and before the night before he gets a, a vision of, of, of we believe it's a, a Christophany it's Christ and the captain of the Lord's army stands before him and, um, and Joshua says to him, you know, well, whose side are you on, ours or our enemies? And he says, I'm not on anyone's side. I've not come to take sides. I've come to take over, right? And that's what Jesus says to us when he comes into our lives. I'm not going to come be on your side so you can have what you want. I've come to take over. And that's where the abundance comes from. That's where my kingdom will appear in your life when you let me take over. Well, it comes here as well, doesn't he? Now, Peter's he led him into his boat. It's fine. That's okay. It's under control. He's not doing anything abnormal, really. And then he says to him, right, now I want to take over, Peter. You need to take your boat out into the deep, and I want you to let down your net again. Now, Peter's identity was a fisherman. If there was anyone in that area there that knew how to fish, it was Peter and his partners. And Jesus saying, that's, that shouldn't be your identity, Peter. That's not just all about you. That's not all you are. I've made you for more than this, if you like. And so he says, go out into the deep 
And out into the deep is the wrong place to go and fish, apparently. I don't know these guys. I mean, of all the people to know this, I don't know. So I had to read up on this because I don't know where it is. My jam jar wouldn't have fitted out into the deep anyway. But out into the deep, apparently, is not the place where you go. And you certainly don't do it in the middle of the day. That's why they went out into the night, because the fish don't bite in the middle of the day. They're all keeping cool under the water, presumably. But they do. So for whatever reason, uh, you know, f fairly close to the shore and, and at night time is when they did their fishing. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go over there into the deep, the wrong place, at the wrong time, and just obey me. Trust me. Now, Peter, I love Peter. I think he's great, isn't he? There's no, nothing mysterious in these things. Sometimes people read more into those words that Jesus said, I think, than really needs to be there. But he's just asking him to obey him, isn't he? He's asking him to trust him. And Peter then says to him, I love it the way he does it, kind of quite testily, really, doesn't he? Tetchy, isn't he? Um, this is who I am. I'm a fisherman. You can't tell me how to fish. You're in my house one minute. You're really with me, heal me mother-in-law. You've, you've healed all the people in my village, all good, and now you've preached in my boat. I'm all right with that, but don't try and take over my life, Jesus, because this is my boat. It's my work. This is what I do. You can't actually move me out of the way of this. And he's everywhere, isn't he? And so he's saying, are you serious? Telling me how to fish? Well, of course, Jesus isn't really telling him how to fish. He's just saying, don't stop relying on who you think you are. Stop being king of your own life, because I'm the new king, and I need to sit on the throne. And the throne's in your heart. And until you give that to me, you'll never know the abundance, as we'll see in a moment. And so, but, but you see, Peter's worried about uh, the effect it'll have on everyone around him. We, find, we read later on that he had to call all the boats to help him. But all his mates are sitting on the shore. And they know that you don't fish in the middle of the day. And they know you certainly don't go out into the deep. And there's Peter, this experienced, burly fisherman, is going to take his boat out. Just because this Galilean guy has said so. And so he's worried about what it might look like, perhaps. I know it looked foolish to those, but here's the thing that changes everything. He obeys him. He does what Jesus asked him. He'd seen enough and heard enough, perhaps, to do that. And he actually says, doesn't he? You can almost see the tetchiness in his voice. Look, Lord, we've been there all night. We haven't caught anything, but, and he kind of holds himself back. But because it's you, I'll go and do it. Almost through gritted teeth. Because I'm going to look stupid in front of my friends. It's not, we're not going to catch anything anyway. I'm shattered because I've been up all night. Why would you want us to go and do this kind of thing? You know, you can imagine it, can't you? We're all a little bit like that. And I've only got your word, Jesus, importantly. But because it's you, I'll choose to believe your word. And I will take it out into the deep. And I will put my net down, as he says. And ultimately, folks, that's what being a disciple of Jesus is all about, isn't it? It's all any of us have got is his word. It's all any of us need is his word, if, if we're truthful about this, isn't it? It's what all Peter needed. But it's all we've got. We would like to rely on what we know, whatever our fisherman thing is, whatever our gifts and talents are. We'd like to rely on all the things we've known, experienced, and, and things we would put in place, if you like, of God, without realizing it at times. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and challenges all that, makes us feel uncomfortable, bit like himself going into the wilderness in a place where he wouldn't want to be, the wrong place, the wrong time, having to face the enemy. But Jesus does it and comes out in the power of the Spirit. And here we have Peter. Wrong place, wrong time. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. What are my friends going to think? What are my family going to think? But the ultimate discipleship prayer is, Lord, 
Because it's you, I'll do it. Because it's you, I will obey your word. The world might be saying something different. The world might believe something different. We might be on, on the wrong side of all the arguments. But because it's you, we believe you. Amen. That's what we do, isn't it? And that's what a discipleship, that, that's the ultimate mark of discipleship, isn't it? A follower of Jesus. And the alternative, it's, it, 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 this is a word for us as Christians as well, isn't it? The alternative was for him to stay in the shallows, wasn't it? You can stay in the shallows in my safe little world where I'm in charge and there's very little fruit. Or it's in over your head in the deep, trusting Jesus and his word, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Not safe anymore. Wrong place, wrong time maybe. But we allow Jesus to work in us. The wrong place. Jesus is the king calling, to his, calling us to his abundant kingdom. He's calling us to follow him and trust him. If we're going to be fruitful and do what he's created us for and be what he's created us for, then we have to trust him, don't we? And it's a word for us this morning, isn't it? Jesus then goes and proves it to him, doesn't he? Because Jesus does that. When he had done so, it says further on there, doesn't it, in verse uh, 6, when he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats with fo so full that they began to sink. This is, this is important. This is more than they could ever ask or think. This is a bigger catch than they've ever had before. Because they need, it's a bit like Jaws, isn't it? We're going to need a bigger boat, right? Have you ever seen the film? Sorry about the reference, but it's there. It's just not big enough. Our hearts, our lives aren't big enough for all that God can do. That's the truth of the matter. But the key is just obeying him. And it might not always be that fruitful, but the key to fruitfulness is this obedience, isn't it, here? And that's what Jesus is showing you. That's, that's the principle of my kingdom. You trust me. Even if it's the wrong time or the wrong place, or even if you're in over your head and you're not quite sure what's going on. A miraculous catch. Jesus, of course, is Lord of creation. He can command the fish like he did with Jonah. He does whatever he says. So he knew that there was never going to be a doubt about that. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing because he wanted to teach Peter and us a lesson, doesn't he, this morning. This is his kingdom. It's his world. And he might not just command the fish, he might command all the things that affect you in your life too. In fact, he does. He's in control of everything. Do we believe in a sovereign, almighty, everlasting God who holds everything in the palm of his hand? Do we believe our God is a great big God and he holds us in his hands, as the kids sing? Do we believe he's got the whole world in his hand? Little tiny babies, you and me. These are simple truths that we sing simply with children, but they're the basics of his kingdom. And if we believe that, then when he asks us to put out into the deep, we shouldn't doubt, should we? We should stretch our, we should allow him to stretch our faith and do that. So Jesus, with Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of fish in his kingdom. More than we can ever cope with. Without him in the shadows, it's interesting, and it's Simon, we've worked all night and caught nothing. Now, I know there's a contrast there, and it's not always going to be like that, but I think there is a lesson here for us out of that contrast. In that, who are we trusting in our, well, how are you serving God in this church, in whatever you're doing, or whatever, however you're serving God out in the world? We want fruitfulness, don't we? We want that, but we're not going to get it without him. We have to trust him in the deep when it's kind of, there doesn't seem to be any fruit, or the, and we're not expecting any fruit. 
We're not expecting anything to happen. We're just going to look stupid. But Jesus will always be the source of the fruit in our lives, isn't he? It's his fruit, not ours. And it's a contrast, isn't it? So a Christian, serving, working, and following, if you're in the shallows, we're safe, but maybe fruitless. But out into the deep with Jesus, obeying, trusting, and ultimately, Jesus says, the fruit will be his. The fruit that will last, and the fruit that he's ordained for us. Because we'll see this as we go further on here in this, won't we, in this, in this passage. This is what we were made for, ultimately. And it's important to remember this. We were made for fruitfulness. Before the fall, that's what, Jesus, what God said, didn't he? If you go back to Genesis 1 and 27, we were made in God's image. And who is God? The creator. The, the, the created a world full of colour. He could have created it in grey and white, couldn't he? But it's a, a world full of colour, teeming with life. If you notice in those first chapters of Genesis, it's, it's abundance. Everything's abundance. Fruitfulness, life, colour, growth, brilliant pictures. And it's a picture of who God is and his natural way of doing things. And his people are meant to be that way because he says to them in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. That's what we were called for. Now, as I say, the fall happens, we reject God's good design, then we wonder why we're not fruitless, fruitful anymore. And the fruit that we bear doesn't last. But God is restoring his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows us here how we have access to that, if you like, through just trusting and obeying, like that old hymn. You all know it, don't you? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy or fruitful in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And that's really what this is all about here, isn't it? John 10 and verse 10, Jesus promises life to the full. Not successful, but just full, full of him, if you like, and the fruitfulness that he appoints. John 15 and verse 16, we were appointed to go and bear fruit. The fruit that he gives us, the fruit that he's ordained for us. Those fish didn't happen to just turn up that, that, that time. Jesus had prepared them and called them and made them available for Peter to catch. Because we believe in a sovereign God, don't we? And we believe that's who we're serving. So Jesus is showing a picture, Peter a picture of his new kingdom here, as we say. It comes in response to obedience to God's word. Simple as that. Because it's you. We need to get used to saying that. Lord, I'm not keen on this. I'm not sure about this. You're asking me to step out and serve you in a different way. You're challenging me in something in work. You're challenging me to give up something, perhaps. We're in the season of Lent, aren't we? Maybe that's it. Whatever it may be, God is always asking us and challenging us. Do we want to be fruitful? And we might say, Lord, I'm not keen on all of that. But what we need to be saying is like every disciple, because it's you, because it's your word, I will trust. I will obey because there's no other way for me to be happy. And so you see then the response to all of this as we bring it towards a close this morning, verses 8 to 11. I remind ourselves, verse 8 here, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What an interesting reaction. Everybody else is concentrating on the number of fish. Look at all these fish, let's get them in. And they're struggling to get them to shore. You can imagine if that was us, great miracle, Jesus done that. Let's get a picture, a selfie with Jesus and the fish. You know, let's make sure we see all these things. Let's record it now. That's what we do this day, isn't it? Come on, Jesus, get in this with us. We'll have to have the picture here. 
This is brilliant, isn't it? All about the miracle. All about how fantastic. Isn't God good because we've got all these fish? Right? That's what we focus on. And ultimately, that's, yeah, that is the fruitfulness. It's wonderful. It's great. And we shouldn't negate that. But we miss the point here. Peter doesn't do any of that. He falls on his knees and he recognizes who Jesus is. Be, be, you know, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Because when we trust and obey God and we see God blessing us, our true response is always that kind of repentance. It's always that kind of response, isn't it? Because we're not, yes, we love that God does miracles, but we feel not worthy. And we don't want to be in the same place as him because we feel our unworthiness. And so we have to reach out to him. And we realize that what we're, what we're missing is, you know, is, is well, we've sinned because we haven't trusted him in the past, maybe. We've been content with life in the shadow, shallows. And we haven't gone out into the deep when he's asked us. So th there could be all sorts of reasons, but ultimately we're confronted with our sinful life rejecting him. And our life isn't fruitful, and there's the evidence. And Jesus is saying, come and trust me again. And I love the words that he says to him, isn't it? Jesus has been pursued. This has been all about Simon and his Jesus' pursuit of him. So he's pursued him, hasn't he? He's spoken his word to him, so, you know, all the things that happened before. But now he's, this day he's come, he's got in his boat, and he's spoken his word to him. Peter has obeyed despite his doubts and maybe his, even his pride. He's received this abundant gift here, life. But all he's aware of is his sin in this situation. And it's a true confession of a disciple, isn't it? Acknowledgement that, Lord, it's only because of your grace towards me that this fruit has come. The danger in focusing too much on the fruit and the fish, if you like, and it being all about catching men, is that we miss that actually that only happens by God's grace. They're God's men. They're God's fish. It's God's fruit in, in the kingdom. This is God's church. We are God's people. It's all about him, not us or fish or anything else. It's about our simple-hearted obedience to him. That's what this is all about. That's the key to the kingdom, if you like, here. And look at Jesus' answer to him, verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That's a phrase we know, isn't it? And there's two big phrases in there. You will be catching men. But the one that I think we need, that Jesus wants us to focus on this morning is from now on. There is a change, Simon. Because of my grace in your life, because you have obeyed me, because if you come in repentance towards me, from now on, things will be different. From now on, it'll be about me and not about you. This is the right way, Simon. You're doing the right thing. There was grace first and then fruitfulness. Right From now on, because of me, you'll be catching men. But you don't come to the from now, if you don't get the from now on bit, then not, the, fruitless, the fruit is not going to be there, is it? We're going to always be in the shallows. And so as I say, we concentrate on the fruit, catching men, don't we? But first, that phrase from now on is so important. It's the phrase of grace. That's what I've called it. The phrase of grace. Because thank God there is always available for us in his grace from now on. You were once like this. Your life was once like this. You were once in that dark place, but from now on, it's going to be different. Isn't that wonderful? Every morning we wake up and we can say, yeah, yesterday was yesterday in the shallows. But from now on, it's going to be different. Not because of us, but because we recognize the grace of God in our lives and the need for our repentance, isn't it? That's grace right there, isn't it? Every morning, every day, 
we can say from now on, new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but they are new every morning. We don't have to live on yesterday's failures. From now on, we walk in the grace that God gives us. But it, the key is obedience and repentance and coming and, res and, and responding to Jesus in the way that Peter did. And Jesus has given us, if you like, through his, his work here and his fruitful and all the things that have happened, an object lesson in what it means to be, not only to know what his kingdom is like, this fruitful kingdom, but also to know how we get in, how we enter his kingdom. But through being like Simon, willing to say, actually, I don't, wanna, I don't live my life in the shallows because that's not what God has appointed me to. The shallows is where I'm in charge. But I need to go out into the deep where Jesus is in charge, where he's the king, and where I'm out of my depth and over my, in over my head, and I need to know his grace every day because out of that will come fruitfulness in whatever fruit that God has appointed for us. It's important to understand that. Here we have an abundant catch of fish, and I think, you know, the danger is that we think that, that means we're going to have, you know, if we do the right thing, it's kind of ticking boxes and God's going to do amazing things. And he will to, at some level. But God has appointed fruit for you. He's appointed us to go and bear the fruit that he's, he's called us to in, in our lives. Without God commanding the fish, there still wouldn't have been a catch. And God is commanding the fruit for you, whatever that might be. And it may seem you don't compare it with anybody else. It just is what it is. But we trust God because it's not about the fruit and it's not about us. It's about him, isn't it? That's the, that's the truth. It sets us free to be able to trust him and stop looking at the results, which is what the world does, isn't it, really? And it was he who had been, it was he had, uh, sorry, it's what he, Peter, had been called to. This fruitfulness, this particular moment, this fruitfulness. And then he goes on and says, the fruitfulness to you, Peter, is this, that you from now on, out of my grace, you are going to be catching men. Fast forward to the day of Pentecost. And Peter's standing up and he's preaching a faltering sermon, trying to explain the, the phenomena that's going on and all this. And he's talking about Jesus. He'd just been in fear for their lives a few moments ago, standing there in all boldness, empowered by the Spirit, in, on, in the deep again, out of his depth. Does he, I wonder if his mind goes back to this day by the side of the lake. It's what Jesus appointed me for. And then 3,000 people are saved. Not fish this time. Men. Just as Jesus had said. And the danger is we don't want to go and catch anybody else's fish, do we? We don't want to catch anyone else's fruit. But just we want to be available in God's kingdom to be the fruitful people that he wants us to be wherever that might be. That's the key, isn't it, really? Not looking at everyone else's fruit doing what God calls us to do, however terrified it makes us. And I'm sure Peter was on the day of Pentecost. And, wh and what was the way to respond to all of this then? Well, I think the final bit of the, of the tale really tells us everything we need to know, and it kind of sums up what, kind of what we said this morning, really. And when they had brought their nets or boats to land, they left everything and followed now, of course, we can interpret that literally and say, we have to give up all of our work, all of our family, everything else, just go off and let... You know, and if you see T. Stud years ago, that's probably what you did, all right? Because we know the story. Very seldom does God call people to do that. What he means is to surrender it all up, to get off the throne of your life, to stop dabbling in the shallows and thinking it's safe here, but to say, Lord, you're the king. You've come to be my king. 
I want to be in your kingdom. You're inviting me into your kingdom. You have fruit prepared for me, whatever that might be. But you're asking me to trust you in everything. Well, I'm all in for that. That's the response, isn't it? We leave everything. Are we all in? That's what we use the phrase today, isn't it? Am I all in with this, with Jesus? Am I going to lean into him? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to give him all the authority in my life? And maybe this morning or over the last few weeks or maybe this morning he's been asking you and speaking to you about what you should be doing next. And maybe trusting him for things. It might be a specific thing. It might just be a general life. If you've been too busy dabbling in the shallows, you need to step out into the deep with me. But that's the call of, for all of us at some level every day because we live in his grace. And from now on, tomorrow is going to be different than it was today because we'll have all messed up. We'll do it today as well. But we've got that from now on promise from Jesus, haven't we? Uh, from now on, you will be catching men, as he says to Peter. They left the boats and followed, no longer in the shallows, out of the deep, in over their heads. But it starts with Jesus pursuing us. And maybe that's where we'll leave it this morning. We'll finish to, head towards the finish. Is Jesus pursuing you this morning about something? Asking you to trust him carries on the way we unlock that if you like that fruitfulness is in an honest confession and repentance like Peter Lord I know what's available I know that from now on but I don't really know it I'm living in yesterday's fruit rather than tomorrow's so Lord from now on in your grace I'll go over my head I'm a sinful man is the response isn't it I'm a sinful woman that's all I am but I want you to be king of my life to sit on the throne and to lead me to wherever you want. Whether it's right place or the right time, according to me, it's okay because I'll trust you. It continues in a continued obeying his word, trusting him when it's the only thing we have when we're out in the deep. The wrong time or the wrong place, we continue to obey Jesus. That's the life of discipleship, isn't it? And fruitfulness. And the fruitfulness of his grace will come from now on. And I'm happy to trust you for the fruit because you're the one who commands it. Is how we respond to Jesus, isn't it? Living in his calling each day. So, is Jesus pursuing you this morning? What's he been saying to you through his words today? What's he challenging you over at the moment? Maybe it's the day that you need to respond, or a day, because you probably need to do it tomorrow as well, because we always do, every day, because we're happier in the shallows, because it's safe. But Jesus is saying, no, I have much more for you than that. Trust me. And obey because there's no other way that you'll be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Let's pray, shall we?